We all know there are times when you don't have many choices in who you work with, like when a pipe bursts and you need a plumber right now. But when it comes to your mental health, you should have choices so you don't get stuck with a therapist who can't remember what you tell them every week. To find a good therapist for you, try ZocDoc, the place where you can find and book hundreds of types of doctors, including thousands of mental health providers. We're talking about therapists, psychologists, and psychiatrists. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare hundreds of types of patient-reviewed in-network doctors, including mental health providers, and instantly book appointments with them online. The typical wait time to see a mental health provider booked on ZocDoc is just four days. That's it. You can even score same-day appointments, either online or in person. I use this, and you should too. Go to ZocDoc.com stronger and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated therapist, psychiatrist, or psychologist today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash stronger. ZocDoc dot com slash stronger. In today's world, kids are on their devices. They see it. They hear it. The other kids are seeing it and hearing it. How do you talk about scary stuff that is going on in the news? Hmm. Well, first of all, that media literacy piece is really important. Where are they getting their news? It's something that we need to bring up. So even before you're talking about what's on the news, it's where are you getting your news? Are these people trustworthy? Where are they getting this information from? Are they doing it because they want to get a reaction? Do they want to get feedback, likes, comments? Or are they doing it because they are a trusted source? They want to get the information out to people and it's a balanced as much as it can be balanced um, in terms of what they're providing. Welcome to Mentally Stronger, the show that will help you develop the mental strength you need to reach your greatest potential no matter what life throws your way. I'm Amy Morin psychotherapist, mental strength trainer, and an international best-selling author of five books on mental strength. Every Monday, I introduce you to a guest whose story and expertise can inspire you to think, feel, and do your best in life. And the fun part is, we record it all from a sailboat in the Florida Keys. Now, let's dive into today's episode. Do you avoid bringing up difficult subjects with your kids because you don't know what to say? Do you regret answers that you've given to your kids about certain questions? Do you wonder if the messages you've given your kids about tough topics like drugs, sex, religion, and differences were actually helpful? If so, today's episode is for you. Whether you've got a four-year-old who's asking you where babies come from, or you've got a 14-year-old who you've never talked to about sexting, it's tough to know what to say and how to say it. It feels awkward, and there's always a risk that you might say the wrong thing, or you might make things worse. But it's important to have tough conversations with kids on an ongoing basis. And here to talk about how to do that is Dr. Robin Silverman. Dr. Robin is a parenting specialist. She's also the best-selling author of a new book called How to Talk to Kids About Anything. Some of the things she talks about today are how to give kids the information they need to hear, what to say when they ask embarrassing questions, and how to give them guidance that will reduce the chances that they'll engage in risky behavior. Make sure to stick around until the end of the episode for The therapist Take. It's the part of the show where I'll break down Dr. Robin's strategies and share how you can apply them to your own life. 
So here's Dr. Robin Silverman on how to talk to kids about anything. Dr. Robin Silverman, welcome to Mentally Stronger. I'm so glad to be here and always so happy to talk to you. Well, it's it's good to have you on my show. I've been on your show a few times and have always enjoyed talking to you. So I was super excited when you came mm-hmm. out with a book. Your new book is called How to Talk to Kids About Anything. Right. And it just makes sense to come out with a book that gives us that because so many people, so many parents struggle to know what do you say to kids about mm-hmm. all of these questions that you have. It's a common reason why parents come into my therapy office. Maybe their kid is my client, but the parents will be like, can we schedule a private session so I can come in and ask you a question? And they'll say, how do I answer this? Or this is Mm -hmm. what I said. Was that the right thing to say? Mm -hmm. Because it's hard to know what to say to kids. But I'm curious from your perspective, what are the most difficult topics that you find parents are struggling to talk to kids about right now? Well, I'll tell you that one of the biggest delayed conversations is sex. I think people keep thinking that they have time and not realizing that that topic of sex, if you break it down, is, you know, topics of body parts and consent and things that you actually need to talk to your kids about very early. So it's a topic that people wait on, wait on, wait on, wait on. And then I even had a conversation with somebody outside of my yoga class one day a couple of years ago. And she said, oh, my child's 13. I'm glad I don't have to have that conversation with him yet. And I you know, had to take a deep breath because it's, it's a topic that we have to be talking about early and building on and building on and building on so that kids get that feeling that you're the trusted source. And it's not so awkward when we approach it. That mechanics conversation really trips people up. But if it's a continuation of all these other conversations we've been having, it's not as hard as you think. So that's one. Porn, an extension of that, very difficult topic because it feels super awkward. And for that, I just sat down and said, hey, I found out that there is a study that says that the majority of kids by age 11 have seen porn. Have you? Because I knew if I could just say something really short and just rip the Band-Aid off and get that out. It was going to start the conversation in a in an easier way. Death is hard because it just seems so outside of what we want to be thinking about when it comes to our children and anything related to death, dying, cancer. These are very tough conversations that we can have with kids and not the everyday. But then that that topic winds up sneaking up on us, unfortunately, and we have to have it in a moment's notice. So it's good in my book, I even with that chapter, I talk about the many conversations we can have along the way that allows us to have a foundation so that when something does happen, it, it has something to build on and we don't have the the preliminary questions that we would have answered before in the moment when something happens. And a good point you've brought up already is that a lot of these things that we used to think of as having the talk with our kids, you don't want to have one conversation. We should be having them over the course of of their childhood and their teenage years. But I find that a lot of parents struggle for a few different reasons with having these tough conversations. Sometimes it's because it's awkward. Yes. Parents often don't know the language either. They say, nobody ever talked to me about this, so I don't know how to talk to my kids about this. Mm-hmm. 
sometimes it's about protecting their kids. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't really want to tell you what actually goes on in the world because I don't want you to be scared yes. or I don't want to, I want you to be innocent and not realize that there are bad things that happen. And sometimes it's because parents are trying to protect themselves. Like, oh, I don't really want to give you this information because it doesn't put me in the best light. Or, right. um, and But a lot of it, I think, is the awkwardness of just saying, I don't know what to say. Yes. I don't know how to say it. Are there other reasons why, anything that I missed about why you're seeing why people struggle with so many of these conversations? I think you hit on some really good ones. And I just want to underscore that we didn't have the template to talk about a lot of these topics, as you were mentioning, that nobody talked to me about them. So how am I supposed to talk to you about them? There's another one that I would add, and that's that many parents think that if they talk to their kids about, let's say, sex or suicide or cutting, that their child will then get the idea to do it. And it's very, that's a scary prospect for parents. What this, the research tells us is that when we talk to kids about these tough topics, they're actually less likely to engage in risky behavior than the child who doesn't have the information. And not to mention that those children still want the information and then may go to somebody who is less skilled, uh, doesn't have their best interest in mind, and may have false information or information that's against your values, and then talk to your child about it. So who do you want to, to be the person who's talking to your child about these tough topics? What are some of the subjects we should be visiting often throughout the years? Mm. Things like drugs or things like the internet, because there are so many dangers. What other sorts of subjects should we be addressing frequently with our kids over time? Well, uh, we mentioned a couple, death and sex, if you break them down, as I do in the book, and, and starting with things like body parts and body image and things of that nature and consent, even when you're tickling your child or hugging your child, consent can come in. Why your, your child's friend doesn't want to be touched in that moment. It's, it's not just about respect, but it's also about consent. That's such a good time to be talking about your body, my body. But also uh, failure is a really big one, mistakes and failure. If we can start early with our children to tell them that it's normal to make mistakes we make mistakes. Parents make mistakes. Here's the mistakes I made today. What are some of the mistakes you made today? Because we were brave and tried something new because we put ourselves in a different situation. All of your stuff with becoming mentally stronger really applies to this. But we start early with that so that when the stakes get higher, when the challenges get bigger, it is already weaved into the way that child thinks that it is normal to make a mistake that failure is just a stop along the way, not the end of the road. So if we can talk about that, even from the time when they're babies to get used to saying it, even if they may not understand everything we're saying, to toddlers who are beginning to walk and try things that are new, and throughout the school age and teen years, that is such a treasure. Friendship and how we interact with one another is an important one to start early. And even helping your child to define what a friend is starting at a young age, 
Kids are realizing what feels good, what doesn't feel good, how to talk to people, how to interact with people. It feels good when somebody shares with you. It feels good when somebody takes turns with you. You like a friend who is kind. She likes a friend who is kind and fun. Using these words to allow your child to start to build the definition of friendship so that as your child grows up in those school age years, fourth grade, fifth grade, seventh grade, when things get more challenging and difficult, we hear a lot about those mean girls, even though we've kind of changed that terminology, it can help our child to connect the dots and say, oh, I like a friend who is kind respectful, loyal. I've always had that in my life. And this is a person who I find fun, but not particularly loyal and kind. So maybe they don't fit my definition of what a friend is. So I would start all of those early and weave in diversity and differences, all those things that I do in my book to make sure that it's not the first time that we're talking about it when our child has a problem, but rather when our child is calm. We're talking about feelings when our child is calm and when they are interacting on a good basis, when they feel good about themselves. And that helps to build on those wonderful skills and help to apply them later on in life. And I was glad that in your book, you talked about things like friendship too, because that Mm -hmm. seems to be a topic that most parents don't really talk about other than when there is a problem. Yes. And then parents often want to dive in and solve the problem right away. Like I'll call, <laughs> I'll call her mother and let her know, or I'm going to call the teacher tomorrow rather than giving kids the skills that they need to manage those friendships and to make sure that they're being a good friend, not just whether other people are being kind to them. Exactly. An electrolyte imbalance can cause headaches, fatigue, cramps, brain fog, and weakness. I know because I learned it the hard way. Like a lot of people, I avoid eating too much processed food and I drink a lot of water. I didn't realize those healthy habits were depleting my brain and my body of the sodium they need to function at their best. So I started using Element, a zero sugar electrolyte drink mix that's free of artificial colors and other dodgy ingredients. Having my electrolytes back in balance has cured my brain fog and I have way more energy. Element tastes great, too. They offer lots of different flavors like raspberry and watermelon. They've also just come out with some Element flavors that taste great hot. You can add flavors like chocolate or chocolate caramel to hot water or add them to your coffee. If you want to see how much better Element can make you feel, try it risk-free. Order it for yourself. If you don't like it, just give it away and they'll give you your money back. No questions asked. Right now, members of the Mentally Stronger community can receive a free Element sample pack with any order. Just go to drinkelement.com stronger to claim your sample pack. That's drinklmnt.com stronger. Do you want to get high quality meat delivered straight to your house? Or in my case, a sailboat? Try ButcherBox. It saves me time and money. And if you order right now, Mentally Stronger listeners can get steak, chicken, or salmon free in every single order for an entire year. I love that ButcherBox offers grass-fed beef, free-range organic chicken, and wild-caught seafood. There are no antibiotics or added hormones. They even offer vegetarian options. ButcherBox lets you decide how often you want deliveries, and you can pick a curated plan, or you could completely customize your box. 
Sign up at butcherbox.com stronger and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free-for-a-year offer, plus an additional $20 off. Choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com stronger and use code STRONGER to choose your free-for-a-year offer. Plus, get $20 off your first order. How about the news? This is a big one that parents will say to me, like, what do I say about that? And it used to be that, you know, families watched the news in the evening so you could really control what kids were getting. You know, the seven-year-olds weren't sitting around reading the newspaper. But in today's world, kids are on their devices. They see it. They hear it. The other kids are seeing it and hearing it. How do you talk about scary stuff that is going on in the news? Mm. Well, first of all, that media literacy piece is really important. Where are they getting their news? It's something that we need to bring up. So even before you're talking about what's on the news, it's where are you getting your news? Are these people trustworthy? Where are they getting this information from? Are they doing it because they want to get a reaction? Do they want to get feedback, likes, comments? Or are they doing it because they are a trusted source? They want to get the information out to people. And it's a balanced, as much as it can be balanced um, in terms of what they're providing. So where are they getting it? And helping kids to kind of figure out what it is that they want from these influencers and what these influencers are wanting from them. We also want to make sure that they are getting information from the news that works for their brain. Many kids, as you know, really can't sit down to watch something on the news without being affected in a very negative way. You know your child best. So if your child does not get news well from watching, and I am one of those people who I really don't like watching these kinds of things because it does wake me up at night. It does cause nightmares for me. I know that about myself, that it's better for me to hear about it or read about it and know the information without watching anything that is too graphic. Is that your child too? Or is your child very visual and needs to see something? And if they do need to see something, then can you sit with them and talk with them about it as it happens? Parents often think that they need to have every answer, but they don't. They can actually ask their child, you know, what is it that you think about this? And did you understand what you saw? What do you think the point of this news story was, the way that they told it? What do they want you to feel? And kids want to be savvy. So even with things like commercials or catalogs or ads that they see uh, in magazines or billboards, These are ways to start talking about media literacy so that when they apply it to the news, you can say, this is similar to that. They wanted you to feel something in the same way that that photo of that woman doing that particular thing made you feel like you wanted that product, that you wanted to react. This news story was told in a way that told you, we want you to react. We want you to tell us something and spread the news and share it. So start with the media literacy part and then build on the news, knowing what your child can handle 
and also being there to kind of peel it apart and answer the questions. And I always let parents know too that there isn't like a right or wrong answer. Like no. can 12 year olds handle this? It depends. And sometimes we'll make mistakes. We'll let kids sure. know more information than maybe they're ready to handle. Other times maybe we don't give them enough information and they're asking other people about it. So it's kind of a uh, a dance of figuring out exactly what can they handle? How's it affect them? If you've done given them a little more information, then you know to scale it back. If you haven't given mm-hmm. them enough, then you can step it up a little. That's right. And making sure that you realize you can do a do-over. You could say, you know what, that was my fault. I, you know, messed up there. I probably should have turned off the news and and not had you see that because I know how much it's affecting you. But you know what? we're all going to make mistakes. And this is something I, I, this, this comes out of my mouth a lot for my child. This is something that you needed to know about yourself. This is such an important thing to know about yourself that so that you can be more protective. I'll say that to my daughter when she might eat something that makes her feel yucky. You know, it could be that she's around somebody that makes her feel bad. This is something, this is a really good sign for you. It it didn't feel good when it happened, but it's important to take this information in because you don't want to eat that again. You don't want to be around that person again. And so you can change your behavior in the future Sometimes we have to learn these hard lessons in this way that doesn't feel so good. Oh, I like that. To make sure that we're modeling, taking responsibility for our behavior, Mm -hmm. but teaching them that when we make a mistake, we can apologize. And you learn a lot by doing. So when you do something and you realize, oh, I didn't feel good, then you know next time not to do that thing. So that's an important lesson. And your point earlier about we don't always have to have all the answers. No. That it's okay sometimes to just say, you know, I'm not sure I'm going to think about that, right? I'm going to get back to you tomorrow Mm -hmm. or I'll have to do some more research on that because kids ask really tough questions sometimes. Mm -hmm. Is there another script that you have that we can say when we don't really know how to answer a question? Well, I do. I do love that one that you just brought up because people who have my book now, they've, they've like, some of them have read it through. Other people have said, I turned right to, like I had somebody who wrote a review, but also uh, told me, messaged me that their dog is getting up in years. And Mm -hmm. they didn't know how to handle the questions about the death of a pet, which I talk about in the book. And so she turned right to that section. And so if your child is asking you a question where you're not quite sure of the answer, you can say, you know what? I think that's a great question. And I really do want to talk to you right now. I'm sweeping. I'm doing this other thing. I'm, you know, I want to be able to wholly talk to you. And why don't we meet downstairs in five minutes, 10 minutes? Um, or can we, you know, make time during lunchtime to talk about this when I'm not you know, on the phone or doing these things because it's really important that I talk to you. It, it doesn't have to be right in that moment. And then go get my book, open up to the section, read it so that you feel confident and you feel comfortable and go talk to your child in five or 10 minutes where you feel like, oh, I just got like my best friend whispering in my ear. Here's, you know, here's what to say. So acknowledge the question. You know, it used to be that 
the template was really like, oh, you don't need to think about that. You're too young to think about that. And we we don't want to do that. So can we say, I, I hear you, that's a really important question that's clear that you really want to know the answer to that question. And it's important to me that I answer your question to the best of my ability. So in your case, what you just said, I need to do a little more research, or in this case, I want to be able to pay full attention and get this off my desk first, and then making sure your child knows this is when we're going to talk about it. This is the time. We're going back and saying, I, the other day you asked me a question, I was busy. If they hear this podcast, I'm like, ah, I messed up. Ah, I didn't do that at all. I didn't say those things. It's okay. Like, let's not shame ourselves. Let's just say, hey, a couple of days ago, you asked me this question. I was busy. I didn't really listen to what you're saying. But then I was thinking about it and I realized I didn't answer you. Can we talk about this now? That's totally okay to do that. And I think your child will really appreciate that because they know that what they said was important to you. And even if you couldn't answer in the moment, you thought it was important enough to answer, period. It's something I have run into often is parents who will say, I didn't know what to say, so I kind of made up something. Maybe yeah. that wasn't true because I didn't want my kid to feel bad. So yeah. instead of saying, you know, we had to have our dog put down today, they're like, he went on vacation. Oh, <laughs> and yes. then they come back and they're like, Amy, now what do I do? I've just said this thing and, you know, and my child maybe believes it, but yet yeah. they're not going to believe it forever. So now what do I do? Or parents who have kept a secret from their child because yes. they thought their child wasn't ready. But yes. yet sometimes life happens in a way where you may have to give kids information before you feel like they're ready. If grandma passes away and they're only five, you're going to have to have those conversations. Or I wrote a story in my parenting book about there was a girl who had overheard something was going on at home, kind of put the pieces together and she figured out her dad had diabetes, but nobody talked to her about it. And she came into my office and she said, my dad's going to die. He has diabetes. Oh. And she had put that all together because she'd overheard these conversations, but her parents didn't dare sit her down and explain it to her because they thought she'd worry. Consequently, mm -hmm. she created this whole story yes. assuming that something was even worse than what it was, all because they wanted to protect her. How do we, what do we do when we want to protect our kids? It's easy to say, no, just have mm -hmm. these conversations. But in that moment, our panic meter often goes up and we don't want to say anything. So we think, oh, I'm just going to blurt this out or I just, I don't want you to have hurt feelings. Mm. I could so empathize with that feeling because of course, you know, I, I want to protect my children. I, there's a, a, a couple of things that I want parents to consider when they're thinking about it. One of them is beautifully said by you just now that when a child doesn't get that information, they may create their own story. And that story may be much worse than what you want them to even be thinking about and may be completely inaccurate. Uh, I had heard a story from a friend of mine also, her child who was adopted hadn't heard the reason why she was placed for adoption. And it was actually quite a beautiful reason her mother or birth mother wanted to protect her from a violent birth father. She didn't know that. So she just thought she was unwanted. Hmm. And that really did a number on her self-esteem. It wasn't until she got older and she was able to voice that, 
that her mom was able to say, oh, no, that's, I was, I was trying to protect you from hearing that your birth father was not a good person. And, but it turns out your birth mother was trying to protect you and knew that she needed to get you out of the house so that nothing happened to you. What a different viewpoint that gave that child. And it, it was such an important change in the way that she viewed the world and herself. So I, I would just punctuate what you're saying here that when a child doesn't get the right information, they may invent something. I'll also say like grandma's, when grandma died or it was grandma dying and they don't tell you, then that child can be robbed of the opportunity to spend that time with their grandparent, ask the questions that they want, draw pictures with their grandma, create the stories. That time is very precious uh, and it's a gift, even though it's hard to know that it's going to come to an end. At least the rug hasn't been pulled out from under them. So if you get to a point where you need to give your child some bad news, I would step back and I would say, what am I going to think about what I'm about to say in five days, in five weeks, in five years? Am I doing what is healthy and helpful in the long run or just giving my child a moment in the short run? And that can be a technique that's really helpful for a lot of things, just taking that perspective and being able to say to your child, you know, I really don't want to say these things to you because I feel like you're going to be sad and I don't like to see you sad. But I also want you to know that I'm always the trusted source. I'm always your source of truth. And am telling you things that I know you would want to know in the long run, even though it's, it's kind of bad news in the short run. And here's what's going on. I always tell parents, if you are worried about something, say that first. Mm. Say it outright first. Worried about how you're going to handle this because it's sad. I'm worried you're going to be angry. And get it out and then say the thing. Um, because your child is on your side and they want, they want the information, but they also want to have that connection with you. Let's face it, money is the one subject we all need to deal with, but no one actually wants to talk about. The good news is there's a podcast helping you learn everything about money no one taught you. Meet Everyone's Talking Money, hosted by me, Shauna Game. Everyone's Talking Money focuses on relevant, inclusive, and forward-thinking conversations around money and just helps you get in a better relationship with your money no matter what your goals are. Do yourself a favor and subscribe to Everyone's Talking Money podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And that just makes sense to acknowledge how we're feeling first, because sometimes kids interpret our reluctance to tell them something as like, oh, I shouldn't have asked the question. Or mm -hmm. they start to question whether, you know, if you're not comfortable, maybe I shouldn't ask you. Yes. So if we just acknowledge, you know, this is a really difficult or an awkward subject, or yes. I'm not always sure what to say, but I'm going to do my best here. Yes. Kids are very forgiving of that. They are. And I think they understand. Oh, okay, here we go. Mm -hmm. What about when we're trying to protect ourselves or you just aren't comfortable talking about something, whether your child says, um, did you ever try drugs? Or they ask you, how much money do you make? 
<laughs> How do we answer these sorts of questions, maybe where we aren't sure if we should give them the information? Yeah. And that's going to be different for each person, of course, and what they feel comfortable with. But there is research that does tell us that when we're talking about money with our children, it actually can be really helpful for them to understand budgeting and understand why we make the choices that we make. Um, It's important. Also for things like you know, death and sex and things that, ugh, they're just like not topics that we would really like to talk about or drugs. Is there a lesson that you wanted them to gain from your experience? For example, if you feel like you had sex too early, you know, or if you took drugs and really regretted it, you, you know, drank at somebody's house and made a big mistake know that in that in that information can be something really important for your child to know and that it may be exactly what they need to hear to be able to say you know when i was your age i made a really big mistake i was at a friend's house i took this thing i thought it was this it turned out to be that and this was the result of it and so here's what i want you to know from this or if I could go back in time, this is what I would have done or said. That is, it's not just the thing then. It's not, I took drugs. It was so much fun. I, you know, did you get something from it that you would want your child to know? And what is the voice inside your child's head? Do you, what do you want that voice to be saying in the moment that you were in? If, if you could have it, do you want them to have nothing? no information? Or do you want them to have, my mother did this. I really respect my mom. She made a big mistake. Here's what happened. And so here's what, here's the choice I'm going to make, or here's the check I'm I'm going to, I'm going to check the bottle and make sure it's this and not that. They're going to do something extra now because you told them of your experience. You don't need to tell them everything. You don't have to tell them every sordid detail. But telling them some of your big blunders can be so helpful in allowing your child to make better choices than you did. Yeah. And I think when it's framed that way, it makes a big impact on kids. When I've mm-hmm. worked with teenagers who maybe their parents just said, you know, never do this because of yes. X, Y, and Z. Kids are like, yeah, but my friend did that. And my friend said it was kind of cool. Mm-hmm. So obviously mom or dad doesn't know what they're talking about. But when a parent can say, gosh, you know, when I was your age, I did this thing because I thought it would make me cool, but then Mm -hmm. it had this consequence. Kids can then be like, oh, maybe I'm thinking the same thing and I don't want to face that same consequence. So love that advice to, with discretion, figure out what do we want to share and how much of it to tell them. Yeah, with discretion. I will say, you know, my daughter's now 14 and her friends often look at her like, what are you telling your mother? But she does. She tells me so much. And it's because we've had such an open relationship about topics that many of her friends haven't even broached with her, with their parents. But then she's she's telling me things and I'm telling her things like if you ever get to this point when you you know, you're in this situation, I want you to know this. Now, she actually asked me. It was maybe like a couple months ago. She said, if I was at a party and there was drinking, not now, but sometime in the future, like, and and there was drinking, and if I was drinking, 
would you just be so furious with me if you found out when I just get in so much trouble? It's like one of those moments when you know your child is testing what you've said all along. Like, are you my trusted source that I'm supposed to contact in those moments? Or am I not? Because I'm just going to get in trouble and now I need to hide it. And I, I could see what was happening. I said, well, you know how I feel about underage drinking, but here's what I would want you to know in that moment. No, you would not get in trouble. If you called me and said, I need you to come and get me. I've gotten myself into this situation. I need to get out of it. I don't care if it's 3 a.m. and three towns away. I'm coming to get you. And you wouldn't get in trouble because you were just truthful with me. Now, in the moment, I'd put you to bed. I'd take care of you, make sure you were safe. And then a day or two later, we would talk about how you got yourself into the situation you were in so that we can be safer next time. You want to be the kind of parent that gives your child boundaries and guidelines. My daughter knows, like, I don't even drink. I'm like not a drinker, so she's not around that. But she knows how I feel about it because she knows the research and what it does to the brain. But I want her to know that she really can tell me anything. And if she comes clean with anything that she's thinking or has done, then it's going to strengthen our relationship and also make it so she has the right information at the right time. And that's powerful for parents to be able to communicate to kids. If you mess up, you can still come talk to me. Or if something if you find yourself in a bad situation, we'll take sexting, for example. Mm -hmm. So many parents are like, just obviously don't send inappropriate pictures. Well, then a kid receives one and they mm -hmm. think I'm going to be in trouble. So they take it off the phone real quick and they never tell anybody right. what just happened because they don't want to get in trouble. Mm -hmm. Or I have so many parents who will say, we don't use social media in our house. I haven't met a 14-year-old who didn't know how to get around whatever That's apps right. they were. So they still have social media, and right. but parents don't know it. So yes. all of these things that we think either that won't affect my kid or I shouldn't have these conversations with them about it, we think we're sparing them. But really, any kid could find themselves in a really difficult situation. That's right. And that's when you want them to make that phone call or to ask for help or to be yeah. able to say to you, hey, I messed up over here. Yeah. Last question for you then is, uh, as somebody who has done a podcast about how to talk to kids, now you've written this book about it, what are still some of the most difficult things you find when it comes to you talking to your kids? Are there still subjects that you are uncomfortable with or that you stumble <sighs> over sometimes? I mean, yes. I'm telling you, my daughter throws things at me constantly. <laughs> I'm uncomfortable. I just, I think the knowledge that this has to be communicated is such a fire, you know, that I have to, I just have to keep, you know, stoking that between that fire that I need to keep stoking between us, that connection, making sure she has the information. So I say things that are awkward all the time. I, this is not somebody who is just, you know, going through life calmly. So my daughter is, jumps in with two feet. She's, you know, she was the one climbing the fence at age two and she still is like that. So I have to make sure she has the right information. It's difficult. You know, she's, you know, going into dating. You know, she sat down at the table. I was like, listen, 
if you want to be dating because you're in high school now, we're going to have a conversation about that. She's like, is this going to be awkward? I'm like, probably. (laughs) But if you're not willing to have the conversation, you're not ready to date. And she's like, all right, let's have the conversation. It is awkward. That's like so beautifully said by her. Like, yeah, this is awkward. But if you want to do these things, I want you to have this information. So yes, is talking about sex and porn and drinking and drugs awkward? Yes, it is. I I don't enjoy every moment of it. But knowing that she has my voice in her head when she's about to make these choices, knowing that she's going through life and if she is dating, she's not getting the, the predominant voice in her head is not the one from some dude or some influencer, you know, that that doesn't have her best interest in mind. Instead, it's the countless numbers of conversations we've had. I'm like, that's worth the discomfort. (laughs) That's worth it right there. But yeah, all the time, uncomfortable. And I, I just like anybody else, you know, saying body parts that you don't typically talk about with your children or talking about porn erections, things like that. Nobody wants to have these like casual conversations with their kids. But I'll tell you, the more you have them, the less awkward they seem. They be- they become more commonplace. And your children really learn like, oh, I can I can go there with my parents. I can have these conversations. I can get the information I need. And then then you're you're in a position where your child goes out to the world and says, I know what to do. That feels good to me. I'm glad you acknowledge that it is still awkward. Because I think a lot of people will think I must be doing something wrong or there's something <laughs> wrong with me if I'm struggling. But yes. I think it's normal. I was a foster parent for many years and found a lot of those conversations. For yes. whatever reason, I could do it in the therapy office and it would be fine. But at home, <laughs> in it feels front of, much more, yes, much more awkward. That's very much so. Where should we send people who want to learn more about your work? Where's the best place for them to go? They can go to drrobinsilverman.com. That's Robin with a Y, R-O-B-Y-N. And uh, they can go there. And my book is anywhere books are sold. So how to talk to kids about anything, wherever you want to get your books. Well, Dr. Robin, thank you so much for being on Mentally Stronger. It's such a pleasure. I love talking to you. Welcome to The Therapist Take. It's the part of the show where I'll break down Dr. Robin's strategies and share how you can apply them to your own life. Here are three of my favorite strategies that she gave us. One, hold difficult conversations regularly. Talk about things like drugs, death, friendship, sex, and peer pressure often. Your kids' understanding of those things shift over time. So even if you've talked about those things a few times already, their understanding at age 12 will be much different from when they were 10. So they need ongoing conversations. One of my favorite ways to bring up a difficult subject is to ask kids if they know of any other kids who might be dealing with something. Because they're usually happy to talk about the other kids as a way to get the conversation rolling. You can say something like, I was reading an article today that said lots of kids are vaping. Do you think kids at your school are doing that? Or try saying, I saw a story on social media about how many kids today are struggling with thoughts of suicide. 
Is that anything you've heard about at your school? As a therapist who worked with a lot of young kids and teens, I never had a kid who wasn't willing to talk about whether something was a problem at their school. And it then often led to a natural conversation about whether they've personally struggled with that thing, what they know about it, or what questions that they might have. Number two, accept that it's going to feel uncomfortable. Talking to a 13-year-old about the dangers of sending nude Snapchat photos is probably going to feel incredibly awkward. That doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. Just accept that some conversations are going to be uncomfortable. Those conversations might force you to confront some of your own beliefs about religion or maybe even your values about things. But it's important to make sure your kids have the information that they need to make wise decisions. So I was glad that Dr. Robin agreed that even though this is her area of expertise, she still feels awkward, yet she still talks about it anyway. So don't think there's anything wrong with you if conversations feel uncomfortable. Have them anyway. And three, keep in mind the goal is for kids to know they can talk to you about anything. Sometimes we get so caught up in thinking that the conversations that we're having about drugs is to educate them once and for all, where their talk that we're having about peer pressure will prevent them from making any mistakes. But really, kids are going to have questions, and they're going to get themselves in tough predicaments sometimes. And we want them to know that they can talk to their parents when these things come up. So keep your overall goal in mind, to give your kids a safe place to raise concerns, ask questions, and get help when they need it. So those are three of Dr. Robin's strategies that I highly recommend. Hold difficult conversations regularly, accept the conversations are gonna feel uncomfortable, and remember the goal is to help kids feel comfortable talking to you when they need it. Make sure to pick up Dr. Robin's book, How to Talk to Kids About Anything. It's got some really good scripts that can help you figure out exactly what to say when you're tackling difficult subjects. Thank you for hanging out with us today and for listening to Mentally Stronger. If you know somebody who could benefit from learning more about how to talk to kids, share this show with them. Simply sharing a link could help someone feel better and grow stronger. And as always, a big thank you to my show's producer, who was in Spain attending the Latin Grammys this week, Nick Valentine. <laughs> <laughs>